How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, I'm sitting across someone that I thought that, I don't know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to see again, Mr. Matt Rogers. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Great to be here. Great to be here. Fantastic. Good to be, good to be breathing. For those that don't know, I want to give a little bit of backstory. You know, uh, Matt uh, fell ill late last year. When, when, when was that? Early January. Early, early late, January. Excuse me, late January. Late January. Yeah. Okay, so early, early yeah. last year. Yeah. And has been in the hospital uh, for an extended period of time, the, the extended stay version, if you will, and uh, has had multiple things that have, uh, he's been challenged with. And he's sitting across from me today, out of the hospital, um, super ecstatic and inspired by what you've gone through. And, and I guess today's show is really to talk a little bit about what all of that it was. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've all, one of my favorite sayings is life's about timing mm. and, um, and it's all in God's time. Mm. And, uh, and, um, you can see God's hand working in the progression of everything that took place with me. Um, we, uh, got sick. Well, I got sick back in, uh, January 19th. It was when I tested positive for COVID. Um, uh, around four days later, started having some shortness of breath and, uh, uncontrollable cough. Um, had my wife take me up to the local ER here in Statesboro. Uh, they did a wonderful job. Um, kept me up in the ICU for about a week and a half. Um, noticeably watching my oxygen saturation go down every day. And even when they had to bump up the oxygen rate to where on the um, few days before I was intubated, I was on a non-rebreather, which is 100% oxygen, and I was still watching. And with me being a flight nurse and I'm um, paramedic for for years and years, um, I knew the trends were heading in the wrong direction. And um, at, at that point, had you had had you uh, helped anybody that or serviced anyone that had COVID? Yeah, we were uh, we were flying COVID patients to. Um, you know, bigger facilities that could can better handle the and, situation. And that's out of uh, air evac in states. Out right? of states, bro. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so you saw kind of the the trends. Um, what did that feel like? Because because usually you are delivering that service to the patients. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I knew it was bad, heading in the wrong direction, to the point that I actually told the the medical staff that um. They're going to have to intubate me because I can't keep my my own oxygen saturation up, and um and they all they all agreed, and um so it's intubated here at East Georgia, and um transferred by ground to Memorial in Savannah, um the my flight crew that was on at uh, 95 here in Statesboro, um actually rode in the back of the ambulance with me because the weather was bad they couldn't fly, mm. so they um. They shipped me by ground and with my flight crew, got me down to Memorial. Stayed in Memorial around uh, 21 or 22 days, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, after the first week, um, they called palliative care in to speak to my wife, to let my wife know that I was gonna die and there was nothing they could do about it. 
and they had three different doctors come in trying to explain to her that I was going to die and to get her to sign a DNR order, which is a do not resuscitate wow. order. But um, she wouldn't have any of it. And um, You were not aware of this at this time? Like, no, no. And I, was, and I wanted to clarify, intubated? What does that mean? That means they uh, actually put a tube into your trachea and, and, and attach you to a ventilator that actually breathes for you. Got you. But but you were are you conscious during this time? No, no. You, so no, you I'm sedated. Be, oh, sedated. Um, yeah, I was completely sedated. I do not remember a day at Memorial. Um, mm. I, the, the last thing I remember is telling them I needed to be intubated at Statesboro, and the next thing I remember is when I woke up at Mayo. Mm. Um, so so we're 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 back at uh, Memorial, and you know they've they've kind of like asked three times to kind of figure out okay, do not resuscitate. And then, and then, so what, I guess she fought for you. My wife wouldn't, she said that's unacceptable uh, because all of my other functions, my liver functions, my kidney functions, everything was normal. The only problem that I had is COVID had just wrecked my lungs, basically. And um, luckily, uh, I had an ace in the hole at Mayo. I had my first cousin actually worked in sonography at Mayo. Okay. And uh, she was good friends with uh, one of the lung doctors, PAs. Okay. And um, actually spoke to her. She spoke to her boss. And um, she said, well, let's get his medical records. I think we get him down here. Oh, so, so at that point, uh, how, how, did she, how did she, was she made aware of the situation at hand? Uh, did your wife reach out to her? Or how did she know that you were? Yes, well, they'd been keeping up with me, gotcha. you know, since I've been ill. And um. And I also, um, one of my good friends I graduated high school with was an administrator down at Mayo. And um, he said he didn't have anything to do with getting me down there, but I, I don't believe him. Mm. I think he did have something mm -hmm. to do with getting me down there. But um, the amazing thing about the story is one of the nurses at Memorial that uh, was helping my wife with getting all the transfer prepared and everything, her name was Miracle. And, um, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. And, um, so anyway, my wife went down to the, um, administrator's office to get my record sent to Mayo. And it was late in the day around 445. And, uh, she, uh, said, well, I'll, I'll send them in the morning when I get back. And she goes, no, my wife said, no. She said, um, I'm, I'm not going to leave this office until I see with my own eyes that you have sent my medical records wow. to Mayo. So anyway, sent them to Mayo. Mayo said he needed to be on ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, where they actually reroute your blood through a ECMO machine that oxygenates your blood for you, actually works as your lungs. Mm -hmm. And um, But they didn't have one available. All of them were being used. Um, the next morning, miraculously... Uh, ECMO machine showed up at Mayo that was supposed to go to another hospital. And Mayo said, well, it's here. Let's use it. Mm -hmm. So uh, they opened up another ECMO room, uh, called down to Memorial and said, we're ready for him. Send him. Wow. Uh, they called my flight crew here in Statesboro. There were some thunderstorms in the area. Um, and um, my pilot that was on duty, um, said there's a break in the storm i think we can get him through and um so they went down to savannah they loaded me up they flew me down to jacksonville 
and the thunderstorms sort of parted like the Red Sea, and they went right through the middle of them and um, got me down to Mayo. Uh, when I arrived at Mayo, um, my friend that I told you about that graduated high school with me, it was on a Saturday morning. He was actually there on his day off um, waiting on my arrival to get there. And um, when I arrived, they uh, immediately took me into to the OR to get prepared to hook me to ECMO. And um, my blood gases um, at the time I arrived to Mayo were not sustainable to life, but I was still alive. Mm. And um, doctor, one of the lung doctors down at Mayo, amazing guy, um, said uh, I probably had two or three hours left at most. Um, if they wouldn't have gotten me down there when when they did, mm-hmm. and um, so they got me an ECMO. Uh, I, they woke me up several days later after my blood gases leveled out and everything was working the way it should, um, and immediately started um, physical therapy on me because my muscles had atrophied away to nothing. My diaphragm muscle had atrophied. That's your main breathing muscle. It uh, had atrophied away to nothing. So they started physical therapy immediately, even before I, I got my new lungs. So I wanted a clarification. When you got there, you said you had, the doctor said you had maybe two or three hours to live. Um, what kind of, I guess, once you got there, the, the, was it the machine that kind of like were, was able to sustain you for a bit longer or what, what yes. happened there? Once that got me. On the machine, that kind of like continued to push through. Yeah, okay. well, once I was on ECMO, they um, actually um, – Push me through, yeah. And, and, and were you me. conscious at this point? Like, no. Are you still not conscious? Still not conscious, no. No idea what's going on? No. Do you, do you recall <clears throat> anything during this period? Were you, were you dreaming? Um, were you kind of Oh, like- yeah. I had some very vivid dreams of my grandparents, mm. and it was just as real as me and you sitting right here. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was... It was... It was amazing. And, um, and you know, I could hear people talking, but um, I couldn't see anyone. Um, but, uh, but it was just a miracle the way everything worked out for me. We know so many other people have died from the disease and, um, or the virus, so to speak. But, um, so, so you started, you know, the physical therapy that you, you're kind of like going through that. They're building up your muscle. At what point do you s- start to regain consciousness or, or is there at that point? Well, when they woke me up, I was still um, on a lot of pain medications and, and pretty sedated. Um, but I was aware where I was. Um, I knew my wife was there with me. Um, so... Uh, and the, the, the main reason why they wanted to start the physical therapy immediately was because I had to be able to stand up in order to get put on the transplant list. Mm. So after a couple of weeks of physical therapy, they called the transplant team in. They actually came and stood at my room and watched as um, the physical therapist, you know, got me to the edge of the bed basically and to where I could stand up on my own. And I, and I do remember that. And it was, I was gritting my teeth and pushing with everything that I had to even just stand up. And, but I did, I stood up and they said, that's good enough. 
And um, so they uh, put me on the transplant list. And um, I think I arrived at Mayo on February the 27th or 28th, somewhere around in there. And it was April 19th before before they found a set of lungs and before my transplant. Mm -hmm. So it was actually about a month and a half um, that I stayed on ECMO at Mayo um, before transplant. So, so take me to the point when you were standing up, you know, when you were obviously in a ton of pain, you know, your, your muscle had, uh, atrophy. Yeah, I had, yeah. You know, I was, what were you thinking about to, to, to make you get to that point? Um, well, I had in my mind, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm never going to leave this place. And, um, and that crossed my mind a lot of times there. I laid in that bed you know, um, for months and months thinking that this is, I'm never going to leave here. That's, that's what I thought. But thankfully the, the physical therapist and occupational therapist at Mayo, they pushed me, um, through the pain and did a wonderful job. And I, I thank them for, um, pushing me Mm -hmm. through it. Um, like Marine Corps drill instructors at Paris Island. (laughs) They were in your face. Yeah. They, um, I mean, I've some of the sweetest and meanest people that I know. I know you're throwing up, Mr. Rogers, but we're going to start PT. Just do as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And, and and I would stand up and, and um, at first I took like one step and they were happy and all applauded for me. I sat back down. The next day I took about three steps. Mm-hmm. Next day, I took about seven. Mm-hmm. Next day, I took 10. Next day, I walked out of the room and turned around and came back. I love that. Next day, I went a couple more steps down the hallway, and that's how it progressed for a, a total of, from the time I was in the hospital to the day of discharge was 227 days. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, were you in good health before everything happened? Yeah. Um, basically, I was taking one medication. And that was for arthritis mm-hmm. was the only medication that I took. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And my blood pressure was always was good. And, but the, the thing about it is, um, Dr. Erasmus, uh, did tell me that, um, I was the sickest person they've ever done a lung transplant on. Wow. And sickest in terms of like just your overall, uh, health and, and, and muscles and, and, all your operations or what, what, how did he make that determination? Well, just from my, my vital signs mm. basically. And, um, cause most of the people that they do lung transplants on are cystic fibrosis patients that, you know, they schedule, Hey, you're going to be here, in, you know, in three weeks and we're going to do your lung transplant. Just show up that morning. Yeah. And, um, so they don't have, gotcha. they don't have time to lay there and get atrophied away. So by the time they come to their body's still pretty functional. Mm-hmm. But see, mine wasn't, mm-hmm. and um, it took a long time to uh, for my diaphragm to reengage, and it's getting stronger and stronger. Um, so you got onto the transplant list, and then you know, I, I guess once you stood up, they said that you could be on the transplant list, right? And then there was a couple of days in there where you're gaining strength, you're getting stronger. Uh, how how much time before the transplant actually happened? Um. They probably came in the first of, or the middle of March, okay. it was. So 
the transplant team just to see if I would stand up. And it was about three and a half weeks later. Okay. About um, a month. Yeah. Right at a month, they, um, they found some lungs for me. And so once, once they said, Hey, we're going to go ahead and, you know, get you a new set. Um, I guess, you know, obviously elated, right? Because at that point your lungs had, were they completely shot? Yeah. Yeah. They said they were beyond repair. Mm -hmm. So at that point, how were you getting your oxygen? Was there? Through the ECMO. Okay. Through ECMO was helping with that. Got you. It was acting as my lungs basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we're at the point where the transplant happens. Something happens uh, on on the table while you are opened up. Where that while that's happening. Um. Well, the surgery lasted fifteen hours. Wow. And um, and one of the things they did is, they told me before I went in, they said, "We've done a heart cath, and you've got a sixty percent blockage in one of your coronary arteries." And um, they said that probably won't bother you for another 10 or 15 years, but being we're in there, do you want us to go ahead and fix it? And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So as, as far as they know, I'm the only person on the planet that has had a lung transplant and a cardiac bypass in the same surgery. And um, That's wild. I think it speaks volumes to, I guess, you know, uh, everything that's happened to you, but also to the, to the Mayo team. Oh, Mayo is amazing. It really is. They, I mean, the, the care that they take, take and, you know, th the fact that you are sitting across from me right now is honestly just amazing. You know, we, we've, we've, I, I've paid attention to, you know, your wife's uh, Facebook and she's done an amazing job at keeping everybody updated. And, you know, from the sidelines and from far away, we've just been cheering you on. Uh, we've been praying for you. We've been, you know, uh, just, just hoping that, you know, uh, that this day would come that you're back, back with us. You know, um, obviously this is kind of like more on the health side, but you know, with all these challenges that people face, obviously the ones that you face are, are a life and death situation. I guess what words of advice would you give to somebody that, you know, is, is faced with some, something that is a hard decision or, or is challenging? Well, one thing that I have learned is you know, I've, I've been so close to death that, um, that, you know, I told my wife, I said, I don't fear it anymore. I don't fear dying. Mm. And, um, and one of the main problems that a lot of people have is they fear living. And, um, and you can't do that either. Mm -hmm. You got to live fearless. That's the way you have to do it. That's right. And, um, cause I know even when I'm, when I'm gone from here that I know where I'm going to be and, um, there's no fear in that. Mm. So, uh, you know, and I thank God every day for allowing me to wake up and take a breath. And, uh, and the thing about it is someone else had to lose their life in order for me to have to keep mine. That's right. And, um, you know, that's the way the donor system works. And, it's just amazing. It's, an, it's just an amazing stories that I hear from so many different people. Um, one of the I went on the um, the Mayo Zoom chat with the lung transplant recipients yesterday, and there was a lung transplant patient that actually died for 13 minutes um, during the procedure. 
And he said during that 13 minutes, he was in a strange living room with this beautiful young lady, and she was just waiting on a man in foot, and she made brownies for him. And then she walked up to him and said, I'm going to breathe for you now. You got to go. So, and when he met the donor family and saw the picture of her, he fell to his knees because it was his own donor that he saw in his time in his 13 minutes. Mm. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you explain like that? It, it, it's, you know, health is such a science-based thing, right? And then you go into these moments where, you know, it's something that's more than that. Yeah. Well, every one of the doctors on the lung team at Mayo are very faithful men, mm. very godly men, every one of them, and because they've seen it. And, um, and that's one good thing, you know, when they come in the room with me and, you know, and, and some of the nurses would come in and, and pray with me, and the doctors were just being so faithful, thanking God every day and blessing God every day. Um, it was just, I couldn't have been at a better place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fascinating. A, a lot of times they say that these two realms don't uh, have that crossover where, you know, uh, science is on one side and, you know, faith is on the other. And it, but, but it seems as they're, they are intertwined at the end of the day. Well, if, if God didn't want science and faith to be intertwined, he wouldn't allow us to get smart enough. Mm to study it. Mm -hmm. So that's all, that's all God. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, honestly, like, you know, again, such a inspiration, um, for your story, you know, it, it seems like throughout this entire story, there's been multiple different instances where if one thing didn't kind of line up or if one thing changed a little bit that, you might not be here. Yeah, if they would have, if my wife wouldn't have fought for me and had them send the records when they did, if they'd have sent them the next day, I would be gone. Mm -hmm. That's right. Or, or if they, if the, if she wouldn't have not not said in in her her fight to will you back to life, I think is really a testament to, I guess, the story that you guys have. Yeah. And and I've got to give a shout out to my mother-in-law, my wife's mother. She's a saint, one of the most wonderful women that I know. And between her and my wife, I never had a day at Mayo that one of them was not in the room with me. Mm -hmm. Let me let me kind of like change directions a little bit. Um, why do you think that you're here? So this kind of like ties into potentially like purpose, right? So you have all of these things that have happened and all these things that have transpired. What What is your purpose now? Obviously, you know, before uh, when you were a nurse, you were, you were out to help people, right? Yeah. And I, I believe you, you had a brief stint in real estate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Did, did you do some real estate? Well, I did have my, I got my real estate license mm -hmm. back in December. That's right. Before I got sick. Right before. Yeah. Maybe maybe yeah. that's God saying that that's not the path. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> or maybe, or maybe even saying, more, right? Yeah. So so for you, how has your purpose changed during this time? Well, I know that every single day is a gift, so you need to treat it that way. 
you know, you wake up on Monday morning, you go to work and you're, you just don't want to go and just in a bad attitude. That's not the way you need to live your life. You need to go to work because you woke up this morning. God blessed you with another day. Mm. So go and live that day, whether you're working, whether you're off, spend time with family. And another thing that I have learned is time is more important than things. Spending time with someone is better than buying them a Corvette mm. or anything. <laughs> Which, if you want to buy me one, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but um, then I'll spend some more time with you. <laughs> I I still I still love the sense of humor. You know, you know, for very early on when you came to the restaurant at Soyomi Asian Kitchen uh, at the bar, you were always cutting up, having a great time, and it seems like that's still very present. And I, I'm so happy that you know that is still there. Um, you know, one of the one of the questions that I, I would continue to have is, you know, as a individual that has come so close to to death, um, how do you take that next step now? What what does the future hold for Matt? I'm not sure. I just I just know that I'm gonna be thankful for every day that I have and um and I think that's why I'm here is to um, to tell other people mm. that same thing, is to live every day like it's your last because you don't know. And in my line of work since 1992, I've seen young and old um, come and go. And um, so you never know when you, when's going to be your last day. So you don't need to live in an anger. You don't need to live it in fear. And you need to, you know, live it with some jubilee and some forgiveness mm. every day of your life. Matt, I, I want to thank you for spending some time. Uh, thank you for inspiring, I guess, me, the world, whoever's listening. I, I think, you know, just sitting across from you the entire time that you were telling your story, you know, obviously like chills up and down the spine. It, it's honestly amazing to be sitting across from you. And I think that, you know, the, the words of wisdom that you have, I'm, I'm excited for today. I, I mean, the rest of the day is going to be like perfect for me because I know, right, to be thankful. And, and I think that more than anything, your story is going to go out there and inspire thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Yeah. So if you're having a miserable, a miserable day or a bad day, just remember that you're healthy and you're still alive. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a gift. Amen to that. Yeah, it really is. Well, Matt, thank you so much for stopping by for the show. Um, is there anything, that you, uh, anything else that you would might want to tell the people out there? Just um, take time to keep yourself healthy because I think that is one thing that saved me is, you know, I've, Actually, you know, was in fairly decent shape when I got sick for my age. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's one thing that did save me. So get out and enjoy the outdoors. Um, take a walk. Go fishing with your kids. Mm. Um, you know, hug your wife. Dance with your wife. Love that. Yeah. And just love each other. Yeah. 
Well, that's the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Yep, absolutely.